All right, welcome aboard to another podcast of White Collar Crimes. A podcast where we show you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. Ryan Horn, your host. Great to have you aboard as always. Hope where you're at, you're safe and dry and not too hot here in the Midwest and South and areas where I'm at. It's been been rough uh, the last week or so. Like I said, the St. Louis and East Kentucky areas and you know, they've been pounded with extremely heavy rain. Prior to that, we had a lot of heat and a drought, and my understanding this week ahead is going to be hot and miserable, so going to be rough for a lot of us, so uh, hopefully you can stay safe where you're at. But speaking of staying safe, how safe do you think your bank is? Uh, just this week, and more on this in a little bit, you had U.S. Bank caught up in a scandal that was very similar to the Wells Fargo scandal that some of you might remember from just a few years ago, you know, and these are both financial giants in the banking industry. You know, there's a lot of competition in banking and, you know, a lot of cutthroat competition and things like that, but these guys are top of the line. These are two of the the heavyweights, so to speak, and these cases really mirror each other in so many ways and the techniques they were using for this white collar crime and for the punishments they got were very similar and equal too. although the U.S. bank case is kind of still unfolding so there could be more developments on that which we certainly will keep you up to date on but this episode today tonight depending on when you're hearing it is going to be you know a little different than what you've seen most of the time this is an educational show I like to think it's kind of an extension of the criminal justice classes that I teach at a couple area colleges near where I'm at and you know it's informational and educational also kind of like uh, American Greed and some of the other shows that are based on you know white collar crimes and things of that sort so this is uh, since this is a new developing thing with the U.S. bank case that just happened and again more on that in a minute gonna walk you back though a little bit with what originally happened in a similar case like this with Wells Fargo bank and uh you know banking scandals are certainly not rare i mean you know anything to do with finance is not so it's not completely out of normal to have what we've had happen but you know it is still happening and it's hard to imagine this almost mirrors exactly you know this u.s bank case almost mirrors exactly what happened with wells fargo a few days years back But sometimes these employees at these banks are under such stress and scrutiny to make ridiculous sales numbers, they take shortcuts. And sometimes these shortcuts, as we've seen in these two bank cases, these shortcuts are illegal. Now in 2016, the banking financial giant Wells Fargo was exposed for this very thing. Beginning in 2011, it was believed Wells Fargo employees began opening fraudulent accounts and submitted over a half a million phony credit card applications. And again, half a million phony credit card applications. That's a lot of credit card applications. But this allowed these employees to hit these ridiculous sales targets and keep their jobs and, you know, even get some bonuses along the way, you know, because I'm sure, uh, you know, they worked on commission and, you know, they were rewarded nicely for what the bank thought were making good sales so yes they uh you know were able to keep their jobs because most sales jobs you do have you know a target you have to hit i uh, have worked one sales job before years ago i 
sold cable and internet for a local cable company here and we had sales goals to go and you know after a while if you're not hitting your numbers your job can be in jeopardy in most sales job and the other you know downside of that is is in most sales jobs if you're not making sales you make little or no money um, I know some that work purely 100% off commission and then there's others like the one I had uh, with the cable company if I you know didn't make sales my salary was minimum wage and you know if I made fewer no sales at all that's basically what I made I mean I could make something but you know you can't live off minimum wage and even you know with another income you know with, with my wife working it's still if I didn't make sales it could be frustrated because I just wasn't bringing in a lot of money so there's a lot of pressure in sales jobs you know and it's a high risk high reward you know a lot of people don't make it in sales the overwhelming majority of people who are in it don't but, you know, if you're really good at it, you can make, you know, a huge amount of money. I mean, people that are in sales of all kinds, you know, whether it be automobiles or insurance or, you know, financial services or whatever. If you're really good at selling things, you know, you can make a lot of money, you know, especially if you're working for a company that has a very handsome and, you know, nice reward package and, you know, commission payouts and things of that sort. But this allowed them to make these targets and keep their jobs and get their bonuses. So they used, and this is at Wells Fargo, they used the customer's personal information to open up many of these fraudulent accounts. Now these customers, where they, you know, because they used the actual customers of current account holders, actually used their personal information to open these accounts. And suddenly, a lot of these customers are hit with charges and fees for accounts that they did not open. And then this also put their credit at risk. And, you know... Also, uh, a lot of other things at risk, you know, their information, their personal information's out there being uh, exposed. And many of these, you know, took a hit on their credit. And, you know, let's face it, credit is everything in our economy. You know, most people don't make enough money to buy larger ticket items outright with cash. Most people don't have enough money to buy a, a decent car with cash. So they finance it and they make, you know, car payments. And certainly the case with mortgages, the overwhelming majority of people I know pay a mortgage. They don't you know, buy a house out and out right in cash, you know, and a lot of other, pro, you know, projects and things people finance, they, you know, they, you know, they pay as they go. You know, that's just a lot of how our economy is based off credit. And if you can keep up payments and, and make, you know, good payments to what you owe, you can get a good score and, you know, get better rates where you don't have to pay as much. And, you know, you can also get more loans and, you know, maybe have some nicer things and just kind of pay as you go. It can be a good thing, but it can be very frustrating because if you, you know, fail to make payments and, you know, you can't keep them up and, or, you know, sometimes people just legitimately have tragedies that hit, maybe a, an accident where they're out of work and can't work and, you know, they get hit with things they can't pay. And, you know, when your credit takes a big hit that, uh, you know, that can really hurt you in a lot of ways because you're not going to be able to get financing for something that you might need. And, you know, I think jobs are, especially after this pandemic and some other things, they are less and less relying on that because you know for a lot of years some jobs you know especially like for federal jobs and things like that a credit check was a lot of what they looked into in your background you know i know especially for federal law enforcement jobs they figured if you had bad credit or you were highly in debt that you know you might be more inclined to take a bribe or something to that effect so it can you know it can affect your lives in just so many ways and that's what happened to some of these unsuspecting folks you know at wells fargo here And it was found in the investigation that the employees there did complain about these almost impossible sales goals to hit. 
but it was to no avail. Uh, Wells Fargo wasn't too concerned about it, and the employees were pressured to sell, get this, eight, at least eight products or services to each customer. Count them up. Imagine that you got to sell, you know, eight different products. This could be another savings account, credit card account, auto loan, insurance, you know, because I think a lot of these banks, you know, they also dabble in the insurance and investment sectors. And to think about, there's hardly probably eight different services they could even offer you. And they were pressured to sell that many to every single Wells Fargo customer. You know, not everybody is interested in these. Some people just want like a checking and a savings account and that's it or you know, maybe a little investment here and there or an insur- a little life insurance policy or something to that effect. But most people don't want eight different accounts on something, you know, to open up, especially when it's involving credit because, you know, it's very easy to get over your head. As I said, you know, you can get hit with a tragedy and suddenly you're, you know, you're at the mercy of your creditors. And like I said, it was to no avail. Uh, Wells Fargo did not change these goals or these policies that they had for people to have to try to hit. And these employees were pressured to sell, again, like I said, at least eight products to each customer. Now, once the investigation was completed, Wells Fargo ended up having to pay about $3 billion in claims to the Department of Justice and the uh, Security and Exchange Commission. And the employees that were involved in this were not protected from future litigation. Now, it's not known at this time uh, who's been sued for what, but I would say certainly it's happened. Because I know if I had my information breached like this and my credit took a hit for something I didn't do, I most certainly would be suing the folks involved, whether it's the people personally at the bank or, you know, the big shots higher up at Wells Fargo. And they were not granted any type of uh, protection from this happening, the people that were involved in this. Now, the Federal Reserve put a cap on their assets, and in 2020... Wells Fargo supposedly sold over $100 million in assets just to stay under this limit. So they find ways around it, but I mean, it certainly hasn't hurt them from what I can tell. You know, Wells Fargo is still doing just fine. You see them and, you know, occasionally wife or I will get a credit card offer from them in the mail. So uh, they're not hurting too badly. I can say that, you know, this didn't hurt them. And, you know, they're one of the giants, uh, just as U.S. Bank is. Uh, U.S. Bank is based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. In fact, I think they own the stadium where the Minnesota Vikings play. And they are reported this week when this came out to be the fifth largest bank in the United States, which says something with the colossal giants that the United States has in the banking industry, you know, here and throughout the world. You know, for them to be number five, they're not a small fish, you know, and like I said, neither is Wells Fargo. So that's really something to take into account. But this last week, U.S. Bank was fined $37.5 million for doing the exact same thing as Wells Fargo. As I said, U.S. Bank is the fifth largest bank in the United States. You know, they're, they're pretty much all over. We, you know, travel around quite a bit, the wife and I do, and you usually will see, you know, one of their banks somewhere, you know, without having to travel too far. And, you know, I guess you could say the same thing about Wells Fargo. And in, just as it was with Wells Fargo, here in U.S. Bank, the employees access the customer's credit reports and other things without permission to open up some fraudulent accounts. And why, was it, why were they doing this? For the exact same reason as the folks at Wells Fargo were doing. It was to try to 
hit the goals, ridiculous sales goals for a high-pitched, high-stress, you know, sales job, you know, working off commission and having to, you know, hit these ridiculous targets in order to keep your job. And, you know, it's, it's just the time we're in. I, you know, it's a, in a way I can kind of see things might've been different in 20, in, you know, 2011 to 2016 or so when this was going on at Wells Fargo, because it wasn't as easy to go out and get a job somewhere as it is now. But when everyone in the world is practically hiring right now, it really wouldn't be too hard to, to really go somewhere else. At least it's much easier to do it now than it has been in years past. So that's why I think what's happened at U.S. Bank here this last week makes even less sense than uh, what's happened before. And they also breach the privacy of their customers and their data, you know, exposing, uh, you know, personal information, identification numbers, things like that are out there being used and, you know, fraudulently against uh, the employee or the customer's knowledge and consent. So it's put, uh, you know, just like the folks that were victimized at Wells Fargo, the folks here at U.S. Bank, they could be victimized to where they, uh, you know, could be victims of identity theft. Who knows? You know, we'll have to wait and see how all this plays out. And it's reported their actions violated the Fair Credit Reporting Act, Truth in Lending Act, and a lot of other federal protection programs that we have. And, you know, that's a good thing that we have because, you know, the banks have changed a lot from our grandparents' days. I mean, at least now you do have the FDIC, you know, where your money is insured up to $100,000 by the federal government. And, you know, that's a protection that didn't exist prior to the Great Depression because I wonder how this is going to play out and if this is going to affect how people do trust banks because, you know, you look back in the Great Depression days and, you know, a lot of people lost everything they had after the stock market crashed and everything else that went on. And, you know, you hear stories of your grandparents or maybe your parents, depending on how old you are, if you're listening to this show and you're a little older, maybe your parents did this, but, you know, I've heard a lot of stories of elderly folks back then that would you know, bury money in a soup can out in the yard, hide it under the mattress or wherever they could. But, you know, people lost a lot of trust in banks back then. And I wonder if it'll go to that again, because this is, you know, these are two times when unsuspecting people have been victimized by their banks, you know, and I mean, it's hard to make it in our society without them. I mean, in the Great Depression days, you know, this is before credit cards and and things like that. You know, you, it's pretty much a cash society at that time anyway. So maybe you could get by a little bit easier without a bank. But now it's just really so hard. You know, you, uh, you know, if you got a job, most of your jobs now pay direct deposit. So if you don't have a bank account, it's hard to, uh, you know, get paid. It's hard to cash a check somewhere. If someone does write a check to you, it's, it's hard to find a place to cash it, you know, and, uh, it's just hard to get by without them. You know, there's just so many things we do now. And, you know, again, like I said earlier, so many things we finance now through banks, you know, whether it be our cars, our homes, you know, um, so many things in our lives that we use them for. It's going to be difficult to see how the relationship changes with the consumer and the banker. If that's going to change how people do business or not, I don't know. But, they were also, like I said, fined $37.5 million, and this was supposedly going to be deposited into a victim's relief fund. So, you know, more on that later. We probably will be, you know, certainly covering this in the very near future as it unfolds to see what happens. And they will also be required to return any unlawfully charged fees, 
that impacted these customers and supposedly it's going to be returned with interest. So the good thing is the folks that have been victimized by this are going to get a little extra for it, which they should, you know, and uh, hopefully be some kind of justice because as is usually the case in these type of case, there is not any justice in the criminal court system because like Wells Fargo, right now to my knowledge, nobody from U.S. Bank is facing an indictment or a criminal charge. You know, and it didn't happen in Wells Fargo, and it didn't happen here. Even though you got deception, you got fraud, you've got uh, all kinds of illegal activities, you know, violating federal crimes and, and, you know, of all different types. And, uh, again, nobody's been locked up for it yet. And, you know, that's the frustrating part about white-collar crime because, you know, we talk about this on this podcast a lot, even when people do get charged in these type of offenses and they do end up maybe going to prison it's usually not for very long you know once in a while with the Bernie Madoff or Stuart Parnell or some of the other ones we've discussed on this show it happens but the overwhelming majority of the time it's not charged at all and the only recourse of action people that are victimized by this have is to go through civil court and I'm sure that will be coming in the weeks out which we certainly will keep you uh in the loop about because uh, there probably will be some more civil action against some of these folks. And I'm, I don't know, the feds haven't said if, you know, if it's going to be similar like it was in Wells Fargo where the employees involved in this will not be immune from civil suits from these customers. I'm sure they won't be protected either. And that's something that's going to be developing and coming. But, you know, you look at these fines, you know, I think they said that uh, there was a hundred million dollar fine for Wells Fargo and, you know, 37 and a half million for U.S. Bank. And these are like I said, colossal financial giants, you know, top five, you know, both of them most likely. I know U.S. Bank is ranked number five, which was reported to have uh, over $500 billion with a B in assets. So I'm certain they can take this hit. It's nothing to them. It would be like, you know, many of you middle class folks that listen to this show maybe having to pay a little $15 parking ticket or something like that. That's the nuisance that they are going to get out of this. It's disgusting. And, uh, you know, something like this is going to have to change in the long run or, you know, these banks and financial powerhouses are going to just get bolder and bolder. And, you know, with not having to fear any type of criminal punishment, they are going to continue to victimize folks like this. And it's uh, it's sad and it's disgusting. And, you know, it's got to change. And uh, we hope you'll keep an eye on there out there for everyone. And, you know, if you're out there working in law enforcement and trying to make a difference and bringing folks like that down we salute you which you know we salute all people and you know first responders and law enforcement and things of that sort and uh we do thank you as always for tuning in um next week we are going to cover we've talked about ponzi schemes a lot on this show and we're going to do a little show next week on a wine ponzi scheme if you can believe it we haven't covered one on this type before but Stay tuned next week to hear the story of John Fox and the biggest wine Ponzi scheme in United States history. And if we have any developments or updates on this U.S. bank case, we will certainly cover that. Uh, Like I said before last week, St. Clair County, which is outside of St. Louis on the Illinois side here where I'm at, their pet shelter took a huge hit in this flood and they had to evacuate a lot of dogs, and I think, unfortunately, some did not make it, but they are taking donations. If you check out our Facebook page, White Collar Crimes, I have the uh, link to that story and where you can donate to this shelter. Highly recommend that, which we always recommend you, you know, a shop at your local shelter and adopt from there. 
you know, my wife and I have, we got our three dogs and two cats at a shelter. Your, your next best friend is just waiting for you there. And like I always say, if you have an idea for a show, something you want to hear or discuss, or if you want to be a guest, certainly contact me and I'd be glad to bring you on as a guest. We have had listeners on here before. You can contact me by our Anchor FM page on our hosting site, or you can email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. Like I said, for a show idea or for, you know, just, uh, you know, if you want to be a guest and be on here. And if you're in need of any voiceover services, uh, you can check it out. I'm actually working on an audio book right now, but you can hire me certainly for that service. And you can check out more on that on my website at ryan-horn.com. Like I said, as always, we most importantly want to keep you on this show, keep you tuning in. And yeah, if you want to donate, there is a link on the Anchor FM page where you can donate. We certainly like financial help to keep this podcast going. But most importantly, we just appreciate you tuning in and lending your ears and spreading the news. Let your friends know about this. If you have friends that are interested in white collar crime and, you know, things like this, or if they're American Greed fans, you know, turn them on to this one. This is a podcast I think they will enjoy because we enjoy bringing it to you each week. And speaking of that, we will see you next week. Stay safe. Watch out for each other. God bless and take care, everybody. Thank you.